So you're you're taking a firmly descriptivist stance yes. on this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say that again. Let's begin. Okay. This bit, I may cut out, but I, I just I need to I need to complain, Bill. I, mm-hmm. I, I have to. I just need to get this off my chest because no one else understands, and I just need to talk. Um, so the video before last was uh, fantasy maps and plate tectonics to tutorial where I did like a screen share thing and show people my workflow for making the maps I make. Yeah. And it was an 18 minute long tutorial, right? On using software. And so many responses were of the form. Why do you use a Mac? Like, no, no sort of like um, discussion about the the content of the video. Just kind of like, oh, I seen that he it's a Mac. Everything's invalid. I need to argue with him about this. And I just, I just, I just need to complain, and I just need to get it off my chest, and then we can proceed with a normal show. I am so sick of the PC master race versus the Apple elite, elitist snobs thing. It's just. It's just such a redundant argument that, like, has no purpose whatsoever other than it's, like, this socially acceptable form of xenophobia. It's just, like, it's just, oh, it, it infuriates me so much. And anyway, so the, the particular case that I want to bring up is that uh, this this person, I, I'll, I'll keep this person nameless, even though they did publicly comment. Um, they wrote, uh, why do you use a Mac? And I replied... And was like, well, I used Windows throughout my entire childhood. Then I got to university and there was Macs in the, like the media uh, room. And I really liked it. So I decided to get my own. And I just, yeah, for me, it was just a much better experience. Um, I admit that they are not perfect. And I very often have a lot of gripes with what Apple do and, and what they release. Um, so I was trying to meet the person halfway. You know, not to be all like, you know, I'm the sheep. I just, I love Mac yeah. unequivocally. I'm kind of like, there's problems with everything, man. Like you were, I, you were trying to be reasonable about it. I was trying to be reasonable about it, right? And then the person ignores that and just goes, I mean, uh, and then starts on a big tirade about how awful Macs are and how, like, everything's wrong, the UI is wrong, the placement of, like, uh, the functions, the functionality is all entire wrong. And then they went on to say that they'd rather have, uh, they'd rather be an amputee then use Max, and I'm kind of like, okay, this is this is all a bit like extreme, and so I reply reply and say, nice ableism, bro. Yeah, well, okay, I'd rather be. That's not exactly the quote. The quote is, uh, "Look, if I had to choose between using a Mac or cutting off one of my toes, I'd wholeheartedly choose the latter because at least the agony would go away after a few months." But that's just me. So it's not quite like I'd love to be an amputee, but it's not far off. Anyway, so then I reply. And I say that, yeah, I can totally see that. Like, uh, the, the, the way Mac OS is uh, laid out is not for everyone. And Windows users find it extremely, extremely uh, awkward to deal with. And I, I totally get that. And it's just different approaches to how uh, OSs work. And then I went on to say, like, that Windows is really class. Windows 10 with its touch stuff, really amazing sort of stuff. I think Macs are like Stone Age things when, without, with not having touch. And I went on to say that the Pixel XL... Uh, Google's uh, flagship smartphone is really class and the camera's badass. And I just kind of wanted to have a tech talk. No response. The guy the guy just got out his his vitriol. I was like, I need to just insult the guy for his, uh, insult Edgar for the fact that he uses a Mac and then leave. And it just drives me so nuts. Like I, I want to have interesting computer talks with people.
people and talk about like graphics cards and the price of them given the Bitcoin craze and things like that. But it's always brought down to like, I hate Mac, I hate PC, and it just drives me absolutely daft. And I want to implore people to not get involved in that conversation because the only people that are benefiting from this conversation are the companies that sell the products. You know, like companies want there to be this tribalism where people are just kind of like, I always use Apple or I always buy Windows. They're the only people benefiting from this. And we all feel crap because we're in the middle of mudsling while they're laughing their way to the bank. And it just, it just, it needs to stop. It's just, it's terrible. That's my rant. I'm done. <laughs> it's really <laughs> telling that you're trying to take the moral high ground on this issue. It's such an Apple whack thing to do. <laughs> Oh, it's the worst thing. I, that, <laughs> I get that awful lot. It's like I just, I, oh, it's just, I don't know. It's just there's no winning with this, and it's the same thing with the like the Canon, uh, Nikon. <laughs> <laughs> You're right there, Bill. Sorry, I'm not fully over my cold. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's the same thing with like Canon uh, and Nikon, and like anywhere where you have this sort of duality um, between like big companies, there's always just this intense tribalism and it makes no sense. And yeah. it just, they, they need to stop. I have a really good friend of mine who's a game dev um, who works in Galway and he comes up uh, to stay with us every so often. And uh, he's a diehard Windows user. And like, we have great chats about like just tech in general. And like, he's firmly on one camp and I'm firmly on the other camp, but like, there's no vitriol. We just kind of accept that. And all we do is we talk about whatever like tech purchase we've made last and uh, advancements in technology. And it's great and it's healthy and it's wonderful. And you totally can co uh, communicate with the other team. It's just that people need to stop being so ignorant. Like, and just, it, it, it's terrible. Um, so yeah, anyhow, rant over. Sorry, Bill. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's just, oh, that is great catharsis that's, right that's there. all right. <laughs> Shall we start the show proper? Let's start the show. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I I may or may not cut that. We'll we'll see how it goes. It depends on if it's, <laughs> if it sounds funny in post, I'll leave it in. But like, yeah, it might go. Um, anyway, so uh, one thing I want to bring up for uh, first thing for follow up is that from that video, the um, uh, fantasy mapping and play tectonics tutorial video, uh, I was made aware of a really neat bit of software called Map to Globe, and you can find oh. it on maptoglobe.com. And it effectively does what G plates does, except without any of the hassle. It, oh. It's like, uh, I tried it for a bit. It's like idiot proof. It's it, it like, you, it's so much easier than G plates and it's on the web. Um, so I think that has kind of rendered that tutorial a bit kind of null and void. So <laughs> anytime, anytime I say G plates in that tutorial, from now on, people take it that you should go to map to globe. It's so much better. I'll leave links in the doobie doo. Mess around with it. it's great, and you can draw straight on the globe, and it makes a it makes the uh, rectangular projection out of it. Amazing, really good. Class and free, which is which is really great. What a world we live in, Bill. Oh, very good. Um, what a world. So yeah, links in the doobie doo. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up, uh, apologies, I, I'm talking loads, uh, but I am really annoyed, Bill. Sorry. Oh, what, what did you do? I don't know. Okay. Maybe you're... Whatever it, is, whatever it did that annoyed you, I'm sorry. Are you an art thief by any chance? Because that's what I'm annoyed at. Well, I'm an art thief in like a kind of a, like a international art thief cat burglar kind of way okay not national you don't ply your trade on the national thing it's only international well no like uh, like high profile galleries and things 
Oh, okay, okay. So not exclusively international. Like you'll you'll raid places in Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay, okay. Well, well, I mean, obviously not. I mean, I have an alibi for everything, but I mean, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I would never insinuate that you do this sort of thing. Sorry, like hypothetically speaking, sort of thing. Of course. Um, yeah, yeah. So what's what's uh, if if you were to raid a place, are we talking paintings? Or do you do you go where where the money is? So whatever some rich clientele wants, or do you kind of have like a preferred uh, material that you wish to uh, alleviate from uh, its current surroundings? Well, paintings are kind of the only thing that are practical to steal. Like, sculptures are too difficult, for the most part. Like, because they're big and they're bulky, whereas paintings can be, you know, they can be rolled up and things, and hidden inside other kinds of packaging, whereas, you know, like, how the hell are you going to steal a Rodin? It's, like, 12 foot tall and made of brass. Uh, interesting thing here, though. Uh, this, is, and this is a completely serious question. Can you roll up a painting? Uh, I've no idea. Okay, like, I wonder, could you, like... There's no way you could take the Mona Lisa out of its frame and just simply roll it up. Surely you would start, like, cracking and disintegrating. Probably. Hmm. Although I've, I've a vague idea that that was done in some reasonably famous uh, art heist, that they rolled it up inside, like, a, a tube for carrying a carpet or something. Hmm, and it survived. Yeah, it doesn't sound right, does it? No, but I suppose it depends on the age of the painting. Yeah. If you have a relatively new painting that hasn't degraded for like hundreds of years, um, it might work. I don't know. Any international art thieves in the in the Artifexian community, please let us know. <laughs> Anonymously, I mean, I, like, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna pass it on to the to Interpol or anything. Yeah, email us. Like you'll, you'll see on the form of when you email, and it says uh, all all email addresses and names will be kept private. So that's your preferred uh, form yeah. of communication when you want to divulge yeah. your your crimes to us. <laughs> Um, anyway, art thievery, right? So, uh, remember the last show, um, I uh, talked about how I won a national art competition when I was younger? I do. And so, in the show, I was like, oh, it'd be really nice to put a picture of this painting in the show notes so people can be like, wow, that's what baby Edgar produced. That is either great <laughs> or terrible, um, depending on your inclination. And I searched for hours. It does not exist on the internet anymore. I, I went I went way back machine on Texaco's art site, uh, on Texaco's site to try and see if I could get a, a thumbnail image of the artwork back when it was on the site in like 2005, maybe? I can't remember. Um, nothing. Completely gone. They've obviously wiped their servers. So now that there is no uh, record of that picture on the internet at, at all. And... Uh, there is no way of getting the picture back from Texaco. So functionally, it may it may as well not have happened. There is literally no record of anything. And it's just, it's just, hmm. it's terrible. Like, obviously my name is mentioned uh, on the site in text uh, in, in the Wayback Machine. Uh, you can see that if, if from the show notes from last uh, episode. But like, I can't get this picture back. And that's really, really annoying. Like, that is, like, if they're going to hold on to it forever, which was part of the contract, and I knew that going in, they could at least keep their servers running. Like, it's only been, what, like, 10 years? Like, how many pictures do they have to store on their servers? Like, just, I was really annoyed at that. Like, having my achievements erased by multinational oil corporations. Terrible. Who would have thought that an oil corporation would ever, <laughs> ever do something sketchy? 
<laughs> I know, right? It's just, it's not even sketchy. It's just stupid. Like, like, why would you do that? Like, even for your own stuff. So, like, when you reach your, like, I don't know, 150th anniversary uh, of the thing, you can make a big montage of winners from the very beginning. But now they can't do that because clearly they've wiped their servers. Like, like it's idiotic. Ah, <sighs> not happening. Hmm. And now I, I can't show people anymore. It's just, it's just terrible. Did, did you show me when we lived together? Uh, possibly. There was a time... Actually, yeah, almost definitely. Because I remember showing my then-girlfriend at the time. Uh, and that was around about the time we lived together. Um, yeah. So it was, was still on the internet then. Was it the, Was it a, a painting from Haypenny Bridge or something? Yeah, it was like a... Was that you? Yeah. It was like a, um, a Van Gogh-esque... Uh, painting of the Haypenny Bridge, which for the international listeners is a is a pretty bridge in Dublin, uh, mm-hmm. with a lot of history to it, um, and it was called iconic. Iconic. Uh, all uh, uh, tangent alert here. I hate the Haypenny Bridge because it's constructed very poorly. Really, the steps on it are the worst steps ever. Now, okay, my father was an architect, and one of the yeah. things he imbued in me from a very early age was the importance of correct steps. And you might think that that's crazy, but you once you notice it, right? Once you notice that there's actual design that goes into that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm still a bit sick. That's fine. It's going to be hilarious to try and edit. Uh, but once you notice um, that there is like design that goes into steps, you don't just kind of lay things down. You suddenly mm-hmm. begin to notice all the ways in which they're terrible. And anyways, on the Haypenny Bridge, the run is uh, much wi- wider than the rise. Uh, to the point where it's kind of almost takes like one and a bit steps. Uh, right, it doesn't match with like a, a normal human's stride length. Exactly, and it's it drives me absolutely mad. And if you look at people crossing the bridge, they look like penguins wobbling because they all have to like correct their gait as they go across the steps because the steps are all out of sync. Hey, I, I just I hate it. It just oh. Poor steps, Matt. I swear to God, I, I've I've talked to the captain loads about this as well. Every time we're somewhere, and I'm like, these steps are bad, and like even she's been kind of like, I get it now, Edgar. They're everywhere. Poor steps are everywhere. <laughs> anyhow, anyhow. So I have my thing stole stolen by Texaco. I'm very very annoyed, and there is literally nothing I can do about it. And this makes me eternally sad. I'm sorry. Um, and I just again, I just wanted to complain. Sorry, internet. Lots of complaining. Bill, do you, would you like to do an item of follow-up now? Um, yes, we got a pretty cool email from D, and it's referring back to one of our earliest episodes, where I challenged listeners to come up with some uh, language or some method of communication that was non-verbal uh, mm. and not not a script, so like not audio and and not written. Um, and this is a this is a really cool one. Um, it's from the from Dee's uh, novel that they're working on, and concerns a race of people called the Rainar, who have a spoken language but also communicate via pheromone signals and blood transfusions. Oh, yeah. So the the pheromones are kind of a logographic system with one smell representing an idea or object, and then the context and strength of the smell giving it the rest of the meaning. Hmm. And the blood transfusion, the this race have uh, have an organ that allows them to transfer blood to each other. And they 
you know, they give, it passes DNA and, you know, proteins and things, I guess. And they have an organ then inside that translates the DNA and whatever it received into language that is understood by them. And then recodes it back into DNA for storage. I remember reading this email. And mm-hmm. uh, I believe they, they describe it like a, um, uh, like a ponytail uh coming out of the back of their heads uh and there's like a um like a cord that goes through this ponytail uh that is like a funnel for the blood yes and you touch you attach them together yeah slight criticism there uh, and and i mean this in the best possible way it's very it's a bit avatar-esque um i remember reading that and going oh that's what the avatar people do because is that is that not what the avatar people do i couldn't say have you seen the movie? Nope. What? No, I've never seen Avatar. Hmm. Is that a deliberate choice? It doesn't interest me at all. It looks as though it would bore me to tears. <laughs> oh, that's... Man, it's not a good movie, right? But, like... Well, there we go. Well, yeah, but, but I would advise watching it because it's kind of like... um, I don't know. It's a bit of a seminal moment in, in kind of, like, genre fiction. Um be it good or not. In the same way that, you know, you know the way you read old books, right? Um, and some of these old books to a modern reader aren't exactly great. Um, but like, there's still a value in kind of just knowing that that happened as a cultural thing. And Avatar has become kind of like quite embedded in the nerd consciousness. So I think it's something that you should try and consume. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's long, it's boring and it's a little bit racist. Um, and it's a bit of a, a knockoff of many, many other works. Um, but, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyhow, the, the mechanism by which the, the blood is transfused reminded me a little bit of Avatar. And I suppose if I had only, if I had one criticism of the system would be kind of like, maybe think of a separate mechanism, especially if it's like a kind of like a canal through a ponytail that connects together with other ponytails. Very Avatar-like. But the, the pheromones idea is cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's really cool. Um, and even the DNA is really cool, but I think, yeah, finding a different way would be awesome. What it made me think of is, uh, I may have mentioned this in an earlier podcast. There's a book called Blood Music by Greg Bear. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I'm fairly sure I've mentioned it. Um, and it's about a guy who, who creates essentially sentient bacteria. He, he, allows them to code and rewrite their own internal kind of genetic information in a way that acts like a brain. Uh, so the the bacteria become capable of independent thought. And there's a bit where it's kind of narrated from the point of view of one of these creatures. Um, and like the way they communicate through like their host organism is through pheromones and chemicals in the bloodstreams and stuff. I think this pretty cool. I think this came from our like uh world inside world episode. We had we had a discussion about that. I think it came came from there. Don't remember that episode. Yeah, we talked about I can't remember there was a big we we put a big obnoxious term on it. Maybe it didn't happen. Maybe I'm making it up. I don't know. <laughs> we've been we've been doing this for so long that I really worry about what we've talked about. Like cause there, mm-hmm. there, we will definitely start backtracking, covering the same things over and over again. Which uh, which is a worry to me, but yes, but yes. Overall, I think the system's good. I think the system's kind of cool, and the the pheromone thing is quite unique. Um, 
So I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, shall we move on to uh, some heraldry? Let's. I love the way heraldry has kind of sort of replaced vexillology on this podcast. Um, out of nowhere. And given that, at least 50% of us here, like as in the people talking right now, me and you, Bill, uh, <laughs> are complete heraldry noobs. It's interesting that, that has, heraldry has kind of become a thing. But I'm glad it has, right? Because this month was class. I had so much fun uh, looking at the listener uh, submitted works of art. Just, it's amazing. So for anyone who, who doesn't know, uh, last month we put out a call for an Artifexian coat of arms. And we had a couple of uh, people respond and, and write in um, with things. And we're just, I'm going to showcase them here. And we have a little top of them because they're really cool. Uh, 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 From talking to N6, uh, our resident uh, heraldry expert um, and mod of Orsash Heraldry, uh, the important thing for for what we're going to talk about now is uh, the blazon, right? So we're going to show you the picture because um, like it's fun to look at pictures and you go into the show notes to see all these pictures. But the important thing to remember is, is, is like the sort of blueprint for the coat of arms like eh, that which means that anytime someone wants to make a new coat of arms they can simply just create their own riff off that blueprint so it's not necessarily this exact picture these exact pictures we're going to show you that would be the coat of arms the blueprint is the main thing does that does that make sense absolutely okay cool so the first one here is by cool mare who i believe has written into the show before yeah, and uh, fairly regular on the on the pod on the subreddit as well. On the podcast, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's only two of us on the podcast, but you know, um, what's called? Yes, so they uh, made a coat of arms. Now, do we, Bill? Do we mm-hmm. read out the the heraldry, or do we reinterpret it as English? Uh, I think it might be funny to try and read out the the blazon because. I don't know how to pronounce some of these words. Ah, okay, neither do I. Okay, so, right. Listeners, we're going to read out the blazons. Uh, we don't know how to pronounce some of these words, so take this as a comedic bit, right? <laughs> we're going to get we, many, many things wrong here. Go to the show notes we, we, and you can we see can the put thing. the blazon in the show notes as well, though, can't we? Yeah, yeah, we'll put the blazon yeah. and we'll put the coat of arms in the show notes and you'll be able to see all of it. Um, but yeah, for now, just listen to us say heraldry terms wrong okay <laughs> so cool cool mayor's uh, coat of arms is as follows sable oh god the second word isn't even english est estensily is that estensily bill <laughs> i guess so okay sable estensily or above a base an arched argent a round of the same charged with a sun ghouls for a crest, a no-ape, sir, sedgent, erect, sable-headed, and armed purpore, uh, holding in its dextra paw an astrolobe, or, full stop, motto, artifexian in the Oa script. So, um, uh, neither, the people who don't know heraldry didn't get it, and the people who do know heraldry didn't get it because it was mispronounced, but in the show notes... <laughs> Uh, a really quick sort of overview of this um, would be there is a Noe on the very top. Uh, if you remember back from the Flora and Fauna episode, holding an astrolade. Uh, the sort of main part of the crest thing is like a red sun 
uh, with what looks like the horizon of a planet below it and these kind of uh, three dot sort of triangles uh, peppering the back of the thing. And then at the bottom, the motto says, like the, like the blazon says, Artifexian in the OS script. I think this looks bad ass. Go into show notes. It's class. It's really good. Um, okay. Do you want to have a go at the second one? <laughs> sure. So this is from the Legion 103. Yep. The blazon is Escutcheon. Ghouls, a Paul enhanced Argent, overall ability based Argent. At Dexter Chief, an eight pointed star Argent. At Sinister Chief, a letter A Argent. Supporters, two pillars Argent. And Escrol Ghouls surrounding both. Dexter, a four pointed star Argent. Sinister, a four pointed star Argent. For a crest, a salad displayed Argent. Dexter, a four pointed star Argent. Sinister, a four pointed star Argent. Chief, a four pointed star Argent. Torse, Ghouls and Argent. The mantling ghouls and argent. Slogan. Artificiona <laughs> mundi, which is together we build the world in Latin. Motto, artifexian. Uh, I, I love the pause between the, that the Latin. Your brain is just like, oh crap, what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, in, in, in English, um, this is, so we have the artifexian. Edifexonium uh, Mundi slogan uh, um, at the very top. At the very bottom banner, we have like Artifexian. We have uh, two pillars on either side that are like wrapped in this like looks like a red coil. There's four stars uh, above them, and in the main crest, um, we have a star, a letter A. I believe that's that's not the crest; it's the shield. Oh, the shield! I'm sorry, but I did I annoy all the heretic people? <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> in, in the shield, there's a a star on the left and a letter A, I believe. Uh, I think that's a letter A on the right. Um, mm. And again, it's in the show notes to go check it out. Uh, yeah, cool. I like it. It's really cool. It's the heretic game from people here is really strong. Like, mm. I wasn't expecting these to be really good. I thought people would just kind of like take the f- out of the thing and I don't know, send us something silly. But these are really good. Um, so like, let's do. Should we do the last one? Yeah. So this is from a u slash yotafi, yotafi, yotafi. <laughs> you know who you are. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so the the blazon uh, is Azor at the honor point a globe. At base, two hammers in saltire, all ore. As supporters, two pillars or an escal argent surrounding both behind the escutcheon. For a crest, an artifexa alien, I understand that, that bit, displayed argent, motto artifexian, uh, meaning artifexian in the OS script. And so again, in, in English, uh, this is a very, very much a, a yellow and, uh, or sorry, a gold and, and black sort of vibe going on here. Um, in the shield, was it, Bill? Shield? Yeah. Yeah, the sh- in the shield, we have a world uh, and below it, we have two hammers uh, crossing, world building. Um, at the sides, we have supporters, like two pillars, and there's kind of like a... Um, a bit of parchment wrapped around them with uh, containing the letters, uh, the syllables of Artifexian in the OA script. And then up mm. top, we have the Artifexian alien sitting uh, proudly atop 
uh, a helmet and I thought that was class. I really like that, yeah. <laughs> it's great. And I like I, I can't tell here because it's on a black background. I really hope the artifacts alien is kind of like has one hand up in the air like he's like hi. <laughs> <laughs> to me it looks like the hands are kind of behind its behind his back. Yeah, again, but you you can't really tell because the black of the the hands um, are is the same black as the background. Uh, I think. Uh, I'm seeing it on a white background. Or you, or it's so, and so there are no hands sticking up. It's behind the back. Yeah, hold on, I'll, I'll send you a photo. All right, so so Bill has sent me um, uh, a picture of this this. Uh, coat of arms on a white background and yes it looks like uh the um artifacts alien is kind of like holding his hands behind his back he's quite contemplative um, <laughs> in in his gait um, and i just it's just great it's so good so i'm going to put uh links in the show notes to all of these with the blazons included have a gander let us know in the subreddit what what you like remember we're not um we're not looking for this exact picture we're looking for the intent and uh, we can endlessly riff and reinterpret the the uh, the blazon. So mm. the the pictures are really only just uh, to give you an idea. Um, and I I said in the last episode that there may, there is a non-zero chance that maybe some T-shirts will be made with these things on them because I really want them. I'm going to leave it open for another month. So if anyone else wants to send in stuff, uh, you've another month to send in stuff, and then at the end of the next episode. Uh, myself and Bill might sit down and start thinking about what one could become an mm-hmm. in quotes official one and we can start sticking it on t-shirts um, so yeah do it oh, I, I, and we'll leave contact information in the show notes so you can send all the stuff on to us I, I have one question here you have a question I do mm. so Kulmer and Yatafi both put um, our, the OA script artifacts in the OA script Yes. On on their um, coat of arms. But they've done them slightly differently. Yeah. So which one of those is is or what you know, what are the differences between them, I guess? Do you, do you have any anything to say on that as the creator of the script? <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what I do need to say about the script. The script, having not looked at it in a while since I made that video, is but ugly. I I just oh, in hindsight I'm kinda of like, oh god, Edgar. Like it's it's not a pretty script. And I wish I'd, I'd, I'd come up with something uh, better. Uh, but there you go. This is what we have. Um, I do not care how it is OA-ized. Um, because like being in Korea, for example, uh, they would Romanize um, uh, their, their alphabet. Um, mm-hmm. And you would find that every place had its own Romanization of whatever the word was. And so, like, you go into one shop, and then, I don't know, just to pick a, a, an example that's um, uh, made up, uh, say, Coke, for example. Like, they, one shop one shop stocking one brand might Romanize Coke in one way. Uh, another another shop stocking another brand might Romanize Coke another way. And that just was normal. Um, there is no one standard way of, of Romanizing a thing. So I think the same thing applies for the script. Um Whichever, however, which way people want to OAIs the word artifexian is the correct way. It's it doesn't matter as long as people are able to sound out the syllables and go, oh yeah, that means artifexian. Okay, so you're taking a firmly descriptivist stance on this. I am. Yeah, based on being in Korea, I think that's the correct way to go. Um, because yeah, whatever suits the the purposes uh, of each each person. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Any, any other questions? No, that's it. All right, cool. So yeah, leave leave more coats of arms uh, in the sub or on email and things like that and have a look at these <coughs> all in the show notes. I can't tell you how much fun I had this month. It was class. <laughs> <laughs> all right, shall we, uh, shall we go into the main topic? And before we do that, can I get a, a little break to make a cup of tea? Absolutely. Cool. All right, I will see you in a few minutes, yeah? Talk to you shortly. Cool. Bye-bye. All right. So, uh, what I've written for this week is back in Janspar. Month. <laughs> week is actually the word for month in my conlang, Edgar. <laughs> yes. How <laughs> silly of me. <laughs> so what I've written for this month's episode is uh, back in Janspar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as pretty much everything that I do for Janspar is in the form of documents. Um, and as we were talking about last week, so this is a letter written from one character to another. Um, and I'll just go ahead and read it, I guess. Cool. Eloath, write no more to me of deadlines and obligations. I've not the patience for you to tell me of my duties. The Duke is happy to patronize me, and I am happy with her patronage, and that shall be an end to the matter. The work shall be finished when it shall be finished. Should the gods in the peak desire it to be otherwise, they wish it in vain. But with their blessing, and absent your nagging, I will produce for your presses a work unlike any seen in Janspar so far. Such an undertaking cannot be set in neat rows or squared into tidy reams, and cannot proceed according to such schedules. Continue with your pamphlets and plays and prayer books. The demand for such will not fade while Darian writes his histories. However, I have listed below an approximation of what the contents of this work shall be. Let this be your guide in planning the manufacture and publication of my work. I expect each age to fill a volume of its own. A supplementary volume of assorted essays may also be desired. The maps, where possible, should be from our own fleet's surveys, not the Eshkonen charts. Volume 1, Introduction, covering Introduction and Dedication, The Eras of History, Essays on Theology, and A Survey of the Creation of the World. Volume 2, The Antisermal Age. Volume 3, The Age of Revelation. Volume 4, The Age of Contact. Volume 5, The Age of Withdrawal. Volume 6, The Age of Mortality. Perhaps a seventh volume could contain a gazetteer of all Janspar and accounts of the fleet voyages, perhaps with the assorted essays. These essays could include the following, a rejection of locism, governance and mortality, theology and law. These additional writings, each of which has found modest success as a pamphlet in its own right, Eloath, I am no innocent in the business of publishing, would augment the work's value as a tool of education and a store of the accumulated knowledge of our nation's intellectual achievements. Make the necessary arrangements, have the materials and inks and artisans ready for the manufacture of my work, and the work I shall deliver in its due, Eloath, and not a single day sooner. Yours, Darian. Man, Darian seems like a dick. <laughs> I, I really like this one. A little bit. <laughs> he's, just, he's such a d***. Like, he's just so full of himself. 
Oh, what a what a what a gee bag! <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. It's really cool. Right, so clearly, what you've done here is you've riffed off the thing we mentioned last week about like the the micro pros. Um, what was it? Uh, who was it? Was it um Edgar Rice Burroughs? No, it wasn't him. Who was the insane dude who was like? Uh, who did a whole load of stuff and one thing was that he just wrote a table of contents as a, as a work in and of itself. It was it was a, a thing I saw on a website um, and the website was partially inspired by William S. Burroughs. Oh, William S. Burroughs. No relation okay. to Edgar. As far as I know. So I like I that you tied it in from last month. I think that's really cool. Uh, questions, right? Go for it. Okay. Um, what is the... Antisermalage. Um, so I think I've mentioned this before, um, and I actually some extracts from Darian's histories uh, I have put on my website. Um, so the Antisermal Age is the age before the the gods of uh, Janspar had communicated with mortality. Is an, is antisermal a made up word or is that a real word? Uh, it's it's a made up word, but um, I th- I think I derived it from uh, before conversation. I think from the like Latin uh, sermo or something is is conversation or speech, something like that. So it's before the the conversation with the gods, before the gods uh, had given them um, the 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 things the gods gave them, the kind of the gifts that 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 divinity gave them um and also part of that is tied in with the 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 languages of Janspar in that there is a common lingua franca used around the world which came from the gods or came from the gods messengers okay so yeah. so so if oh sorry continue <clears throat> uh, so the the first peoples contacted by the gods the first mortals contacted by the gods were the Eshkone. And they they have a language that they brought with them and they used in communicating with the rest of the world. And that became a sort of a global lingua franca. Okay, so uh, from this table of contents, have I got the sort of chronology of your world here, right? Yeah. Um, the ant- antisermal age is, you said, pre-contact, pre-god contact. Yeah. The age of revelation, then, I assume, is the point at which uh, mortality became aware that there was deity deities uh age of contact is that there is contact with said deities age of withdrawal is where the deities withdraw from the world and age of mortality is kind of like uh the the age of no gods like the human age has begun not exactly you've you've got the 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 thrust of it right um so the, the the significant event in Janspar is the abandonment. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this this is all before the abandonment. Oh. Yeah. The, and this this is written pre-abandonment. This document is written pre-abandonment. Oh, and, and for the listeners, the abandonment is where the gods abandoned Janspar. Yeah. Sorry. So the so the 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 fundamental kind of event in in the history of Janspar is and it's quite a recent one in the, the chronology of when I'm mostly writing from it's like in the past few decades um, is that the gods no longer communicated with with mortality so that means then if if the abandonment happened after the age of mortality 
Right. Uh, that means the age of withdrawal does not refer to the withdrawal of deities. Yes. So what withdrawal is that referring to? Is that just like a withdrawal of whatever Darian's race is from certain areas? Uh, oh, well, Darian, Darian is just like a regular human. Well, he clearly thinks himself more as a regular human, but anyways. <laughs> yeah, so, so, okay, I, I can read out um, the extract from his work, The Years of History, like that explains it oh yeah yeah too definitely yeah. yeah yeah so this this is actually on my on my wordpress on my my Anspire site links to the show um, notes the age of revelation was the period during which divinity communed with the ishkone and raised them to knowledge of their truth this period lasted for approximately 300 years in which time the gods taught their followers of many and diverse arts to aid them in their great work uh, they crafted their language learned of theology this age ended when the first Tutve sailed to carry the gods' words to the rest of mortality. Okay, yeah, but, um, but, but that, that, that doesn't sort out what the age of withdrawal is. That's because I've only read one of them, Edgar. Oh, I'm sorry! <laughs> <laughs> Please continue. The age of contact took place over the following 300 years, as the Ishkone sailed and journeyed to all parts of Yanspar, carrying the revelations of the peak. The Ishkone consider this to be their great work. Uh, this was followed by the Age of Withdrawal, 200 years in which many of the Toothface ceased interacting with the rest of mortality and returned to Ishkona. So the, the, the missions from the Ishkona to raise the rest of the world kind of wound down and they returned to their, their own continent. Oh, That's what the okay. withdrawal is. Okay, okay. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a mortal withdrawal as opposed to a, a deity withdrawal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and the age of mortality, these past eight centuries, the nations and tribes of mortality, including those toothfaced still abroad in Yanspar, have continued to bear the light of civilization and the glory of the peak. Okay, and then what follows afterwards is the abandonment. Yes, but as I said, that was written, um, that's part of the book that Darian is talking about in his letter. And th this extract and the letter are both written before the abandonment. Okay, now I, I have further questions. Mm -hmm. um, he, uh, Darian writes uh, the maps where possible should be from yeah. our own fleet surveys not the Ace Conan charts now given yes. everything you've said it seems like the Ace Conan charts are probably the the best source here is this a bit of xenophobia here or what, what, what's going on um, what can I say about that uh, Darian is interested in promoting his own nation um, and he, as a younger man, he traveled with, uh, with a sort of a, a, an expedition from his country, which is Hearth, uh, to circumnavigate the globe and make their own charts and things so that they would be not reliant on the Ishkone charts. Oh. Um, so there's a kind of, I suppose there's probably maybe an element of distrust there. It's a, it's a somewhat political move. So would it be safe to say that when Darian, the the great the great uh, novelist or writer, uh, completes this uh, work um, of, of the the history of Yanspar, it would be quite biased. This would um, be a fair account. This would be very much written from the perspective of Darian's people. No, maybe not like as as bad as all that. Um, because he is a he is a scholar and a philosopher, and he he would be hold himself to a high standard. Um, but he would just prefer 
because maps are an expression of power in a sense um, and he wants the the maps using this to be an expression of hearth power not just reliant on the information given by the Ishkone. right okay cool uh, uh final question go for it um what is a rejection of lockism what is lockism uh, Lokism is an ideology that exists within Yanspar. Um, and I've been trying, I've kind of messed around with writing this for a while. Um, and it's been very, very difficult to do. And it's something that I, I mentioned a bit in one of our recent threads on the subreddit. Um, it's it's an idea that is exists within Yanspar that uh People and their their traits are hugely influenced by where they're from. So if you if you move to the the mountains and you raise a family that there, that they will be hardy mountain children, and it's that they kind of that thing is strongly believed instead of strong ideas about racial heredit- hereditary traits. That, oh, that like racial heritage traits isn't really a thing that exists in the <clears throat> in the intellectual world of Janspar. Oh, that's really in, is. Oh, hang on, this is great. Is is this based on any real life thing, or have you made this up? Um, <clears throat> I'm not really aware of anything in in real life. I'm sure it does exist in some way, but this this is kind of part of my idea to create. To create in Yanspar just like actual different ways of thinking about things that the way people their culture is sufficiently different that they have to or that I as a writer have to create different things to to put in their minds and different things in their intellectual cultures man that is brilliant like and I, I realize I, I, every time you bring something, I'm always like, oh, that's really good because I'm envious of your stuff. But that is a great idea. It's like environmental determinism over sort of genetics. Like, that's a really interesting idea to play with. Mm-hmm. That's, cool, thank you. That's amazing. I'm really glad I asked that question. <laughs> and in, in a way, I guess this might be a little bit kind of uh, an attempt for, for me to create the, the kind of world that I want. Because if you don't have strong ideas about uh, racial hereditary traits and then things like racial traits being being really important, then you won't have the kind of racial prejudices that exist in the modern world. And I, like someone could easily say that's just me being a SJW. Um, but I think there's a historical precedent for that because... In the ancient world, people didn't really care where you came from. They cared what your culture was. So it didn't matter, you know, if you were uh, of, like, North African blood and you lived in Roman Britain, if you could speak Latin and you took part in the Roman culture. You know, your, your, what we would see as race was completely irrelevant. Yeah, okay, I, I agree with that. But, like, a counter-argument to that would be that humans are... I believe humans are predisposed to prejudice. Yeah. Um, so if racial prejudice wasn't a thing, they will find prejudice somewhere else. Ergo, they will find prejudice in the sort of environmental determinism. So taking it back to like the yes. Hardy, Hardy Mountain kids, like I can imagine they mightn't care if the Hardy Mountain kids are, uh, you know, they have dark skin or light skin or whatever. 
but they might say something like all hardy mountain kids are like thick idiots because they don't grow up in the city. So there still will be prejudice. So it's not like this, yeah. this lockism is creating this wonderful utopian-esque world. It'll just and be I never... Sorry, go on. It'll just be a different form of prejudice, not one based on race. Absolutely. And again, that's not like that's not a rebuttal. And that, that that that's what I'm going for. It's that it's not that it's perfect. It's that it is a different kind of thing. I think that's really interesting. I think that's very very interesting. You need to write that, man. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> first of all, first of all, I have to come up with like, well, like like localism isn't a single thing. The way that, uh, like, I, I don't know the. Mendelian inheritances or whatever it's not a single thing it's like a, a a complex of different ideas that can take lots of different forms of strength and weakness and whatever um but first of all I have to come up with a fairly clear idea of what those could be and then I have to write that rejection of it so <laughs> oh yeah but no you don't have to write the rejection of it like you should you should solidify what this way of thinking is and then yeah leave the rejection till later later yeah. points um could you write it from if it's a difficult subject to get a hold of, could you write it as a sort of child's uh, tuition book? Yes, I, I could. I, I have a few essays around um, on my on my laptop that I, I like uh, various things on theology, for example, that I've written as instructional things for for people studying theology within Yansbar. Okay, so, so that, that, that might pose an easier framework to be able to address yeah. this um, complex topic. Man, but that is golden. That is absolutely golden. I, I love that idea. I think that's class. Thank you. It's so cool. Um, it made me think of a thing. It's only marginally related, but it just it popped in my head, so I'm going to say it. Um, I recently bought a book. In fact, I bought two books, one of which was the worst purchase I've ever made in my life. Physical books. I, oh, do, do you know what else? This is meant for the green room, but I have stopped using Audible. Oh. Um, because I needed to, I didn't need to, but I, I, I wanted to get one password. I don't know if you know what this is, but it's a, it's like a, a beefy, robust password protection bit of software. And unfortunately mm -hmm. it runs on subscription. And I was like, I am dying by subscriptions here. I have so many subscriptions. It's, it's draining my income. I need to stop. So I was like, where can I make cuts? And I was like, do you know what I'll do? I'll cut audible and just read books instead. Um, mm -hmm. And like, you know, borrow books from the library and things like that. Uh, so I bought a load of books. Uh, yeah, one of them was great. One of them was atrocious. I won't name mm -hmm. the atrocious one for fear of shaming the author. But one of them was Alien and Alien Societies. And it's a, it's a book talking about how to, uh, how to write about aliens and how to come up with uh, believable aliens. And... Just this idea of kind of like like earlier where we talked about the prejudice thing where it's like it's just a different form of prejudice mm -hmm. this, this extrapolating that and taking it to all parts of alien life where it's like look at what humans do and try and imagine like a cinema sort of thing except in a different uh, sort of sphere and there's a big section in this book that deals with alien sport class <laughs> uh, yeah yeah and, and it's not kind of like you know uh, maybe they all play laser ball like it's not that it's more kind of like uh, try and analyze where sport has come from. And uh, one one uh, method of analyzing this is to say that sport is basically an analog for warfare. Um, mm -hmm. Like, you know, like rugby is a good example. Two 
like lines of burly men or women line up and try and batter each other into submission. It, it's it's a pretty close analogy. Um, <laughs> and then the book encourages you to think like, well, what happens if you had a race or, or a species that was less um, prone to warfare? Like how might uh, sporting things manifest themselves? And there's a big spiel in it about like cooperative sports and like trying to imagine competition, but competition that is the word of success is based on cooperation. And that yeah. is such a difficult thing to imagine from like a human perspective, because when we think of competition, we think of like, we must beat the others. Mm. And like to, the idea of winning by helping the others is so alien and so foreign. And it, it just, when you mentioned that thing about like, yeah, about lockism and how it's kind of like what we have here, but sort of different. It reminded me of that. Um, mm. And it's, it's very interesting. I'll leave links to the book in the doobie-doo. People should go pick it up. I don't, it's not entirely that expensive and it's, it's a good book. Um, so, so yeah. Um, There's a, another thing, just when you mentioned the, the sport as warfare. Mm-hmm. There's a, a really interesting example that I read before. Now, I'm, I'm going to say up front, this may be really uh, colonial in its origins, so don't, don't hold me to it. But there's a, I, I've heard of a form of cricket played in the Trobriand Island, Island, which is in uh, New Guinea, I think. Okay. Um, and when it was colonized and uh, Christianized by missionaries warfare was banned between the between the different groups of islanders and instead they just play cricket so cricket has replaced the warfare so as in like if you have two feuding peoples they just play a game of cricket and whoever wins has won the in quotes war uh i guess no i I'm not, i don't know that much about it and as as i said huge caveat that it's obviously a very very easily you know could be very much be told from a colonial kind of perspective but there's there's something connect there's some kind of connection there <laughs> man wouldn't it be great right if the next time uh murka decides to bring democracy to the middle east they're kind of like instead of sending in uh uh fighter jets we'll just play as it a game of football like that would be, that would be the funniest thing yeah ever. but then they'd argue about which kind of football it is yeah that's fair yeah that's fair well well I, well and that would lead to a war it will <laughs> <laughs> a long enough timeline all things lead to war um but yeah yeah man, man cricket right i'm not i'm not gonna make this like a, a sport sport corner but uh cricket is one of, it just i love cricket man cricket i cricket, know cricket is just it's so good and i don't know if i've talked about this before in the podcast but like if you haven't uh indulged in cricket um and if you ever happen to find yourself in england or in any of the other countries that play cricket, it's just that England is the, the, the kind of the, the biggest one uh, in, in, in Europe. Um, go and watch a live cricket match. If you're in any way interested in sports, just go and watch a live cricket match. Bring along a picnic, a few beers, bring along some friends. It is a wonderful day out. Like, the, the cricket is marginal. Like, the cricket is fun to look at every so often, but really it's about <laughs> friends and hanging out. It is brilliant. Absolutely. The real cricket was the friends we made along the way. Yeah, no, yeah, man, it totally is. It totally is. And you can sit there for like eight hours or however long the game goes on for. It's many hours. And it's just it's just wonderfully fun. And then the um, the what, the thing that I always found really interesting was the dichotomy. Now, uh, I need to preface this by saying I was at one cricket game, one live cricket game. So this may not be how it always is. Um, but it was conveyed to me that there it is common that there's a dichotomy between the players and the fans. 
and right. the players tend to be kind of uh quite well to do uh middle to upper class uh white people in general in uh, in, in England I, I appreciate that cricket happens all around the world with different demographics but we're just talking about England and then the fans tend to be not of the same socioeconomic level um they tend to be quite quite working class and quite rowdy really? and well sorry Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, and when I was there, it was it was totally was that like like everyone like you had the prim and proper people in the stands, like the the big kind of grand sort of stand, and then in the normal sort of the plebe seats that we were in, everyone was drinking beer, everyone was drunk, we were all shouting abuse at one another. It was just fantastic, <laughs> and, and it's very very different. Like like yeah, the two different sort of groups of people getting together and enjoying this thing. It's wonderful. Cool. Um, anyhow, do you have any closing points? Uh, no, I think we, we've covered everything there. We'll just scan over this again. Um, I've so um, I've got a couple of other things by and about Darian on on my uh, on my Antwerp blog. Uh, it's actually it was the, the thing we read from about the sins of Amulin was from uh, his histories of the Anspar. Oh, cool! Yeah. Um. So that would be somewhere in. Volume six, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah, he's he's one of the the, the characters I'm, I've got the most in my head for, for Janspar, and I'm trying to, as I was talked about before, keep a kind of a fairly consistent voice for him, mm-hmm. and keep it distinct from the other voices that I have. So, uh, it's that that's been tricky from a writing point of view. Well, really, you just have to make him sound like a. D- Look, he's got more to his character than just that. Um, I, at some stage, I might, like, once I've got a, a little bit more material out there, I might go back and edit everything that I have to give it a more consistent voice, or at least that the at, at different ages, he sounds more similar within that age. Like, oh. his, his own age, not ages across the history of the world. Yeah, like, when he's 20, in his 20s, he sounds one way, and when he's 60, he sounds another way. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, because yeah. um, he's still he's still reasonably young at this point. Oh, people on Yanspar, uh, what's their sort of like age length? Uh, um, I, I guess similar to us. Similar enough to us into their eighties isn't un- unusual. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so shall we talk ergativity? Let's talk. Ergativity. Uh, so I uh, made a video about ergativity and uh, it was released yesterday. Um, couple- Should I go watch that? Uh- <laughs> yes, Bill. <laughs> Bill, has- Bill, has- Bill has already watched it. That's that's the joke there. Um, the Yeah, so a couple of things I want to uh, mention on the podcast about it. Um... Overall, uh, I was I was quite happy with it. It's it, it's it's pretty dense, um, but not as dense as the source material. So I managed to hack through the source material quite a lot and present it in something that I think is um, understandable, but may take one or two watchings to be able to do mm-hmm. it, uh, which is a lot better than the source material. 
I had to read that ergativity book, I think it was three times in total, and it's about 300 pages. It, it It's it's heavy duty going. The the Dixon one? The Dixon one, yeah. The Dixon wow. one is not fun. Like, it, it's it's so good and it's so comprehensive, um, but it's not fun to read. And nearly every sentence, you need to parse it twice to be able to understand mm. what the hell is going on. And that's if you have a... Um, like pre-knowledge of the topic. Like I kind of vaguely understood the topic before attacking it. Um, mm-hmm. If you had no idea what ergativity is and then picked up Dixon, you'd just be like, yeah, no, <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on here. Um, so I was fairly happy with, with the execution of it, but there's a couple of uh, points that uh, need to be brought up. Uh, the, the, big, the big, big main one is that I messed up the passive voice part. Okay. And I need, I need to correct that. Uh, the what I present on screen, like the sentences I uh, present on screen, I'll leave a link in the show notes to the exact timestamp of this for people, are correct. The labeling is not correct. I, I just I had a brain fart there and did not put in the correct labeling. Um, can, so, you, can you say that again? Can you explain what, what the mistake is there again? So the mistake is, right? The So this is basically what you need to take away from this. The passive voice, right? Yeah. Uh, treat the passive voice like the anti-passive voice in that it is a function. Right. Yeah. Uh, like it's 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 hard. It's easier in English because English has a passive passive voice. But forget language for a second. Let's talk almost like maths. Right. The passive voice uh, promotes the p argument of a sentence to s. Right. Right. And it drops the a argument. So if we mm-hmm. had like Bill ate cake. Uh, Bill is an a argument. Cake is a p argument. Yeah, Bill will get eliminated because he was the A argument that goes, uh, and Cake, which was the P argument, will get upgraded to S. So if you if you double check that with the video uh, in the show notes, you'll see that my marking of the sentences is off, and I just totally had a brain fart. I just didn't execute at all. And people on the con like subreddit kind of tore into me. They were like, "You got the hard one right, the anti-passive one right, but you messed up the thing that English has." And I was like, "Damn it, I'm sorry." <laughs> So I need to pull out there that the marking, the marking's wrong. Passive voice, you drop the A. Um, for for the most part, there's there's nuance there, but you drop the A and P goes to S. Um, that's the big sort of correction uh, from the video. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, and intuitively, anyways, we we English speakers get the passive voice because uh, we we speak uh, a language that has a passive voice. Um, yeah. This is why I messed up the labeling because intuitively I get how to form a sentence, but I don't intuitively know how to label. So that's that's how, where that happened. Um, yeah. A lot of uh, the, the sort of the only other bit of feedback on this uh, is a lot of the this is sort of a complaint, and I hate to complain about artifacts here, but I just as a creator, I just want to voice this. Um, a lot of the feedback was of the form you forgot to mention. Um, mm-hmm. And other creators have complained about this before, and I think this video kind of was the first one where kind of uh, I got a lot of it. Like the you forgot to mention feedback is is really valuable for someone reading the comments and being all like, I wonder what like uh, the conlanging uh, people see about this, and they're like, well, actually, it's a little bit more nuanced than he presents and things like that. But I just want the internet to be aware that like I have to try and condense uh, mm-hmm. a huge amount of information in the video, and that invariably will lead to like glossing over certain nuances that you can only get if you read a big massive tome like Dixon. Um and I just I just like just want to put it out there. Just like go easy on me with videos. Like try not to be all like you forgot to mention and then write a an essay about everything I forgot to mention. It's like I didn't I didn't really forget to mention it. 
like I couldn't mention it otherwise we'd have a 45 minute long video and it'll take me like two months to make and that's not viable um, mm -hmm. so I think that's important and I think it's also important for um, audiences as well this is going to make me sound like a real SJW here but uh, um, or real like um, uh, left wing snowflake it's important for audiences to mentor mention uh, to remember this for like the mental well-being of creators because one person leaving the you forgot to mention feedback is is fine but if you have a substantial audience and you get like say a hundred people mentioning that you forgot to mention it it's very hard not to kind of feel really sort of like my work is crap because of that do you know what i mean Mm. Uh, and it's just a thing just just bear i think just for internet health overall just bear in mind when you when you leave that sort of comment there is an effect there's a there's a, a accumulation effect on creators and it, it can be quite um uh disheartening i suppose and i say mm -hmm. this again having said that i get the value of the comment like i get that people reading the comments will be able to see more nuance and i i totally get that but it just like I think framing it needs to be kind of um, needs to be done correctly. And those are basically the two points about ergativity. Cool. Um, other than that, I think the video kind of worked really well and I had a lot of people being like, I get it now. Uh, and that was really valuable because I, I all I wanted to just for people to just understand the broad strokes of ergativity, like never mind all the nuance, just a, a broad strokes. What is ergative alignment? And yeah. people, people seem to get it, which I think was good. Um, cool. Do you have any comments about the event? Anything that you that stuck out to you that you think I might need to address? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I found the video very helpful. Um, I, I, I mean, I'd, I'd seen the script and everything. Um, so I, I had a bit of an idea. I mean, I had no idea before I read the script. Um, but the, the video really helped solidify that. So I think it was a very successful video in that sense. Oh. I will say, if I can jump here really quickly, uh, a huge part of success is down to Sasha. Um, you, Sasha Adarain from Conlang subreddit. Like, when I first handed them the copy that you've seen, yeah. they were like, yeah, there's about four or five things in here that are just flat out wrong. You've, like, absolutely misunderstood them. Um, and which is, which is fair enough. Um, this happens. I am, I am a human. I am, in, in, I am fallible. Um, and without them, it would have been carnage. So they, they really, really, really helped. Um, mm -hmm. and like the passive voice mix up thing that was, I did it on my own steam. Like they, they cleared, they cleared the script and was like, yes, script is good to go. And I was like, yeah, of course I could just label it like this. It's fine. And then it's like, oh, Edgar, the one bit you were in charge of. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So massive thanks to them. Um, and I really liked the, I mean, this isn't a, a, a you thing specifically, just a, a cool language fact. The fluid S. I thought the fluid S was dope as hell. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, actually, do you know what? There are two points I can bring up here that are kind of uh, uh, peripheral points that I think are quite interesting. Um, I, I believe it's Fijian um, This is uh, that does this. It has uh, all verbs in Fijian can be treated both intransitively and transitively, which right. in and of itself is kind of mind-blowing because if you think of the word like uh, a verb like like devoured, like like I devoured, like doesn't really make much sense. Do you know what I mean? Like you need to devour something. Mm. But in, yeah, okay, margin. Like I can't come up on top of my head with a decent example. <laughs> but uh, in Fijian, all verbs can be treated both intransitively and transitively. All you have to do is mark them. 
and be all yeah. like, hey, if they get this marking, they are, I, I think it's intransitive if they're marked, and if they're unmarked, they are transitive, which I think is pretty cool. That's a really yeah. interesting idea, and it does not happen in English. Like, we have fairly, fairly set categories of what verbs do what. There are There is some overlap, um, but in Fijian, it's just like, it's a free-for-all, and just mark mark when you want to use it in a certain way, which I think is class. Yeah. Um, and then another, another interesting point, there's a language called Dravidian, um, which I, South oh, India is it South India is that where that's from I think so yeah let me just do a quick Dravidian uh, I know the, the Dravidian people are Southern India and yeah South India yeah and uh, the Dravidian language is really interesting uh, in that it doesn't have pivots so it doesn't have like the you know if um, in the sentence I give Luke arrived and Luke see, saw Yoda it doesn't have the thing whereby, oh, if if Luke and Luke are in the same place, you can drop one of them and say, yeah. Luke arrived and saw Yoda. It doesn't have that. What it does, and I think this is really cool, it says whatever noun is at the start of the sentence, that that's the one that can be eliminated going forward. That's it. That's their only rule. And I think that's really cool. And it leads to like some interesting sentences where as an English speaker, you're kind of like, how on earth does that make sense? And you really have to like, like work your brain out to be all like okay right the first noun is the key noun okay so anytime there's an omission or it looks like there's an omission just insert that first noun and it's it's weird to get a hold of that's cool it's really cool and it's it, arguably it's a lot simpler um because it's it's entirely regular because it's always the first noun gets eliminated no matter what the role of the noun is now i i, I will put in here that i don't know if it's always entirely regular this is one of those things where language nerds oh, yeah. will give out because they're kind of like, you made a generalization. Uh, I, there was only a limited amount of examples in the uh, ergativity book. Um, but my impression was that it was always regular. I could be wrong. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's pretty cool. A lack of a pivot, whatever the keyword up front is, and you can just eliminate that going forward. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Cool. Those, those are my points on ergativity. Um, about Fijian. So any verb can be transitive or intransitive. Does that have uh, any ergativity in, in the language? Oh, that's really interesting. I don't know. Hold okay. on. Um, let me do a quick check of walls. FYI, anyone who doesn't know what walls is, uh, it's a the World Atlas of Languages language sorting the mm. world world atlas of language structures and it's yeah. a really really good resource so let me just do a quick a quick check for what the ergative <laughs> what the ergative languages are now can he find fiji straight away answer no <laughs> where on earth is fiji bill do you know where fiji is yeah yeah <laughs> I swear to God, if you say like Oceania, I'm gonna kill you. Go to, um, you know where where Gibraltar is in in Australia, and go east from there. Gibraltar. It's in the sea. Look. Ah, Fijian. Right, got it, got it. Um, Fijian. Apparently, it's marked as grey here, so that means, according to Walls, that Fijian has oh god damn it fijian is neutral now what that means i don't know but okay. it, is, it is not marked as being nominative accusative and is not marked as being ergative absolutive and it is not marked as being tripartive so it's 
something else. Um, it does have verb, object, subject order, though. I mean, yeah, but that's not really related to uh, to Ergotin. No, it's just it's the first thing I saw on there on, on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> I I can't wait to do a video on word order. Like I've been I've been uh, putting it up the, the way the Patreon works on 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 the main channel um, is that I usually have a couple of ideas for videos floating around in my heads that are fairly interchangeable. And then I say to people, hey, here's the two or three ideas I have. You guys vote on which one you'd like to see next. And word order has been in there a lot, but no one's been like voting for it. And I think because I think most people think word order is like quite boring. But I can't wait to do word order. Word order is seriously interesting. Um, like especially when you do stuff like in, in German where you have like one word order, but then certain uh, connecting words like and or but or whatever. Yeah. Flip the word order in the subordinate sentence, and it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't wait to do it. I hope I hope uh, the the guys over there vote on word order. Nudge nudge, wink wink. No, Edgar. All you got to do is just like stack the ballot. So the options are word order, and then like two other things that are both terrible. Yes. Yes. Uh, word order, tech review video, and travel vlog. And then everyone's going to be like, word order. <laughs> Eventually it will happen. Though. I should say for people who aren't patrons of the main Patreon, it's not like uh, there will be a topic that I suggest that will never get made. Like all of them will get made. It's just deciding on the order, um, mm. which I think is important. Anyway, anything else to say about aggressivity? Um... No. I went to see Black Panther. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, I have thoughts. What are your thoughts? Black Panther was crap. Huh. <laughs> now, okay, that's the, the BuzzFeedy uh, headline to the thing. Black Panther was actually really good. Uh, oh, okay. The experience of watching Black Panther was probably the worst cinema experience I've ever had. It okay, was, I'm 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 relieved to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I thought the movie was there was a couple of points. Well, it's one point that I would have liked to see more of, but uh, we'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a second. The thing that made the experience so so terrible um, was <laughs> the we got really bad seats, uh, which which I hate getting. I like being kind of like three quarters of the way up in the center. Uh, we weren't able to get that, and that was kind of like oh. Uh. Um, then the person next to us uh, insisted throughout the entire movie of tapping his feet so the whole row that we were sitting on was shaking violently and he just this did not stop it did not stop the entire sitting next to the incredible hulk no bill but you don't need to like be incredible hulk to make seats like the cinema seats are kind of flimsy they're on like a single a single sort of like steel rod at the back so when you like move them back and forth you like shake okay maybe the ones in in the cinema i tend to go to there's like they're in they're not a whole rod the whole way along. Maybe that's it. Yeah, no, these were connected. They were like one big okay. thing. And he just, he, he would not stop. Like, and none of us, both myself and the captain, didn't have the courage to like, because we're kind of non-confrontation people. We didn't have the courage to lean over and be like, uh, sorry, could you not do that? Um, so we just kind of sucked it up and rocked back and forwards like sporadically for the entire screening. And then the person in front of us insisted on being on their phone the entire way through the thing. So oh. I know. So there's a luminous blow, blue glow happening. And you'd be watching the film and then you're kind of like every so often you'd like look down and be like, oh, phone. Sorry. No, keep looking at the screen. Oh, phone. No. And it's just it was the whole thing was terrible. And it just it wasn't enjoyable. But the film was really good. <laughs> 
um, the only the only criticism I, I I would have of the film is that um, the the music was just just bleh. It was just completely meh. And given that you're dealing with African teams here, like there is a wealth of interesting music that you could have pumped into that film. And I think there was there was one bit of music that was kind of um, African inspired. Um, and that was it. And the rest of it was kind of generic sort of Marvel-esque sort of cinematic music. And I was like, ah, oh, come on, you totally missed a trick there. Like, the, like pump it full of this interesting um, African music. We, you, know, you, know, you know, we had lectures on this in college, Bill, like with all its intense like polyrhythms and wonderful polyphony and like really, mm. really go to town on that to help paint the, the, the sort of like musical um, narrative of this world. It's like, nope, nope, regular, boring uh, forgettable Marvel uh, cinematic music, and it just I was like, that's that was a major major problem. Um, yeah, I, I I don't remember the music in in the film making that much impact on me. Um, although the bit where they were in the club in Korea, uh, I recognized the the artist that was playing at one point there, uh, like or when they're in the in the casino. Um, I'm just gonna check who that was for a second. Um. But I think the because fact know, that you're like the music, sorry. No, after you. Uh, I think the fact that you're like the music didn't leave an impression of me kind of sort of uh, vindicates my point of view. Like if they had pumped it full of uh, African uh, inspired music, like you couldn't not be left with an impression of that music because it's so, we don't experience it that often in our culture. Um, so the fact that you didn't really notice the music all that much kind of means that it was generic sort of, bland music and that, that's, mm. that's no good maybe I don't know I don't tend to pay that much attention to music in films not consciously like um, but I do know that the 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 soundtrack like the the soundtrack album was curated by Kendrick Lamar and there's some really really good acts on it now maybe they weren't used in, or maybe this, they actually made bad stuff but maybe it wasn't used in the in the film because it's, it's got really good people it's got like Kendrick, who's amazing. He's got uh, SZA, who I'm a big fan of. Um, right, right, but but, but but like yeah. I, I want I want African music, like uh, like Kendrick's great. Like, but I don't I don't want I don't want Kendrick's music. I want African music. I want them to go and send a team of composers or whatever to Africa to study the music and then emulate that in the film. Or get an African or, or, person to write the music. Or get an African better. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I don't want, like, I don't want good Western, like, hip-hop, rap, that sort of music. I, I, I want African mm. music. Um, because, do you remember Do you remember in college we had that lecture from, uh, by Shima Aram? I certainly do. And uh, he, uh, he, for the listeners, he gave a lecture on the uh, counterpoint, counterpunk music of pygmy tribes? Uh, which yes. I remember at the time being like, is that an offensive word? Uh, so I'm, I'm hesitant. <laughs> I'm, I'm still kind of wondering that. Yeah, the Akka were the people. Right, okay. Now, So I'm hesitant to use that word, but uh, the speaker used that word. So I, I don't know. I've, I've no expertise in this at all. But in any case, uh, he, uh, he talked a lot about um, his research into this music and played a lot of examples. And holy God, was it just magnificent. Like, And they... Um, they have, they have counterpoint. I realize, Bill, you know about all this, but for the listener, they have counterpoint like 
almost built into their like like cultural DNA. Like they naturally will perform like really complex musical works um that would for for our for our western uh, abilities would require actual composition but they'll just improv it and it's just it's just beautiful i couldn't believe how how wonderful it sounded and i just wish there was more of that yeah um but that was my only drawback from the film i thought overall it, it was it was quite good um yeah. i mean that's 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 true that that seems in fitting with some of the other reception i've seen of the film that it, like it isn't African. It's an American Im- image of Africa. It's a hyper-real so simulacra. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, okay, for... I need to clarify. For listeners... Uh, an in-joke there. <laughs> that's a bit of an in-joke. Uh, Bill and I uh, listened to this podcast called Blind Boy Boat Club. We've mentioned it before in the thing. And uh, one of the things that this guy talks about a lot in the podcast is this idea of a hyper-real simulacra. And uh, a good example that he gives to explain this is the uh, the phenomenon of the Irish pub and how you can go around the world in any country and you will always find an Irish bar. But like none of these Irish bars are like bars in Ireland. It's like people who don't live in Ireland and don't experience the culture kind of their sort of like uh, fantastical... uh, um, hyperbolic views of what it is to be Irish has been pumped into this notion of the Irish pub, and that's what a, basically what a hyperreal uh, mm. simulacra is. So the Black Panther could be seen as that because it's kind of like a lot of Westerners have their preconceived notions about what African culture is, and then they present this thing, which is inspired by African culture, I suppose, but isn't African culture. It's a hyperreal simulacra of African culture. Mm. Um. And I love that yeah, word. I've been using that word. I've been using that phrase everywhere. And people think I'm just the big obnoxious hipster when I use that. I love it. Um, yeah, no, that's definitely a, a, some of the reception that I've seen from African people who've seen that. It's a great film, but it is an American kind of fantasy of Africa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, whether that's a, a good or a bad thing isn't for me to say. It is a fantasy universe. Um, yeah, and then even even if like okay, let's let's assume that it's not a bad thing, right? Um, and it's up for debate, but let's assume it's not not a bad thing. I still think though that even an American uh, interpretation of what African music is would have been better than generic Marvel Marvel music because it would have helped at least paint a a better picture of of like African life. Maybe mm. not a hundred percent correct but certainly better than generic superhero music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, but like, that's a minor, minor distraction. I thought the movie was great. It was, it was really fun. I usually don't like superhero mo- movies at all, really, but I thought this was really, uh, it was really cool. Um, about the Irish pub thing, mm-hmm. someone was telling me last, uh, or a week or two ago, uh, there's a podcast, I think it's the Irish Passport podcast, and they did a an episode about the phenomenon of the Irish pub and how there's a company based in Ireland that will give you the materials set up to, to set up an Irish pub and you can decide what, what you want it to be like. Do you want it to be like a an old rural hyper-real, simulacrum, sim, uh, a hyperreal simulacrum of an Irish pub or do you want it to be like, you know, kind of a music pub? 
And so anywhere, someone anywhere in the world can say, I think I'll open an Irish pub and they'll apply to this company and they can buy the materials necessary to set it up and they'll help you get like the correct beers and things. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that company is Guinness. Um, At least mm. I, I think I think Blind Boy mentions that it's Guinness that does that. You can apply to Guinness or at least historically you could do it. To, maybe yeah maybe I, that was not the impression I got from but then I haven't actually listened to this 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 podcast uh, but yeah I just I just think that that's really funny so like you there's no actual connection to Ireland in a lot of cases there, there, yeah. there's no there's no necessity for one yeah and it's like it's kind of weird because it, it's kind of sort of cultural appropriation but like you feel bad using that term because mm. you know like you know well, great, you want to culturally appropriate Irishness like oh woe be upon us you know uh, but it it is kind of weird like when as an Irish person you do walk into like an Irish bar in I don't know let's let's say uh, Thailand it, mm. it's a very weird situation like I never go to Irish bars and I don't understand people who go to Irish bars who are Irish I just I don't get the appeal of that um yeah, it's a it's a weird it's a weird thing. I went I went to one when I was in Amsterdam, uh, just because it was the only like decent looking place, like the, that I had time to get to before my train, um, or whatever for whatever kind of scheduling reason. But I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I much prefer. I, okay, I appreciate you were had time constraints and stuff, but I much prefer if you're a, an Irish person abroad. Um, going and like, trying to experience in local culture, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you're in Ireland all the time. Like, w- w- why continue with this abroad? Like, it makes no sense to me. Um, speaking of going abroad, Bill, I am going on holidays. Where are you going to? I am going to go, hopefully, all going well and budgeting and things like that. Uh, I am going to go with the captain to Morocco. Oh, class. Yeah, we've never we've never been to Africa, neither of us. Um, so we were kind of like, it'd be really interesting to see a little bit of Africa and, uh, Morocco is a fairly cheap place to get to. It's, it's not, it's not, um, uh, ridiculously expensive. Um, and if you go in the off season, it's quite good. Uh, and it looks, Morocco looks really, really interesting. Um, and there seems to be a lot of really awesome places and places I expect that when I come back, I'll have some world building fodder. <laughs> um, to talk about there's a place called uh chef Shuan or chef Shuan. i can't pronounce it uh, and it's essentially like a blue town everything is blue like all cool. the bu- all the buildings are like blue and uh i believe this is uh one of the reasons why this is so is because of like insect repellent like apparently the insects don't like the blue or whatever um but i'm gonna do a lot more reading on it before i go and check it out and report back to you with, with interesting world building details Class. um so yeah I, I really like the way when we do go on travels that uh, every so often we do have world building fodder to talk about. I think that's really cool. <laughs> it's like it's a very unique sort of travel blog. Travel with a view on creating fiction. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's uh, p- pretty much all that's going on in my life. I could talk some more about the Kindle, um, but it's not that interesting. I suppose the only thing I was going to say was that I think the Kindle is a horrific looking device. Um but it's, what Kindle did you get? Uh, I got the Captain's Kindle, which which uh, <laughs> I had found out was actually the Kindle I I had bought her. I forgot about that. So we basically I bought her a gift. She stopped using it, and now I'm getting it back. Um, is essentially what's happening. So I think it's a Kindle four, five. I can't remember some Kindle. 
Um, is it one of the, like the, do you tap the screen to turn pages? You tap the screen. There's no buttons. There's no buttons. No buttons on it. It's a black, it's a black device. Um, there's no buttons. Um, yeah, I'll leave it. I'll leave a picture in the show notes, whatever. Yeah, I, I really like mine. I mean, I, I like the idea of the Kindle, but Jesus, their industrial design isn't great. Now, this this is like perhaps going to get me labeled as a, a, an Apple, w- but like, I really do enjoy kind of pretty looking devices, mm. and they're not pretty. <laughs> like they they really are. Like it's a big hunk. It's a big hunk of black plastic. And yeah, that's not really. Uh, doesn't have a great like aesthetic to it but again it's not about the aesthetic it's about the reading and I look forward to being able to experience books on it I have a really nice cover for mine um, that it's got some kind of magnetic lock on it so it kind of closes uh, it snaps closed quite satisfyingly and then when you open it it automatically turns the Kindle on oh yeah which I really like and it, it makes it look a lot nicer as well now it was like it was it was fairly expensive for what it was. It was like thirty or forty quid or something, um, but I've had it for a couple of years now, and it's kept my Kindle safe, and it really adds to the bookishness of the experience. That I just open it up, and then you don't have to press a button to power it on. Hmm. Uh, so it's uh, I I feel it was a good investment for you know a couple of years at this stage of just like a low level improvement to my experience. The. Uh the captain had a similar sort of thing. It didn't have an automatic turn on, but it was shaped like a book, this case. Um, and I immediately got rid of the case. I am so against cases. I, 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 I despise cases on everything. I never have cases. <laughs> I never have cases on my phone. Uh, I, do, I don't put cases on laptops. I think people who put cases on laptops are, I don't understand them. Uh, more power to you, but I just don't understand it. I, I, I really like looking at the thing as it was intended um, and I am totally willing to sacrifice uh, practicality and perhaps damage for it. Um, hmm. Yeah, and but I don't damage things that often because, like, like again, I I have never put a case on a phone, and I've never once broken the back of a phone or smashed the screen yeah. or anything. Like, I just I'm quite uh, I don't know I'm quite I feel almost like if you put a case on a thing, this is more to do with the phone than the Kindle. It almost yeah. inspires you to be rougher with it because you're like, that's ah, fine. I have a case on it. Whereas if yeah. you don't have a case, you're kind of like, I need to be a little bit more careful about this. And it kind of, I think it leads to better behavior, at least in me. Uh, I, look, look at the one I have sometime. And I'd be curious to see whether the, it carries because it's very, very low impact. It's very, very slim. And it, it, I think it, it improves the shape, I think. Yeah, perhaps. I think the Kindle mm. maybe maybe needs shape improvement. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should, I, I, I'm totally going to get shouted at for being the Apple despite the thing at the top of the show <laughs> no you you want you want to have a positive association with the items you use i think it's not it's not unreasonable yeah and I, I really like the aesthetic of there being tech like i have my lenses all lined up uh, in front of me here and the uh, my cameras and i really like looking at them as like artifacts like i think mm. i'm really into like the industrial design sort of thing and I like pretty industrial design is very interesting to me now i will say just for the sake of it this is not limited to apple before someone shouts at me, because like the the window, the the Surface computers, I think the Surface computers look great. Um, those Microsoft Surface computers, I think they look really, really, really slick. Um, I think some Dell monitors, um, those uh, Infinity Display monitors, they look amazing. Like they're just as an artifact, they look they look stunning. Um, so it's not just Apple. Like I I I would not be a person that would say Apple is the only company that can make decent industrial design. It's just not true. Um. 
I will say that the Amazon Echo, good industrial design. I like it. It looks it looks decent. Um, so yeah, there you go. Sorry, industrial design. That's that's me done. Oh, can I complain about? I want to complain really quickly before we end about Duolingo uh, and German. Please do. I started. I've gotten bored with gaming recently. I don't. You know, where you hit the wall with gaming, you're kind of like, I don't want to game anymore. And mm. you find something else to do. And um, Duolingo has uh, replaced gaming. And now I kind of, when I'm bored, I Duolingo. So I Duolingoed some German uh, because it's not that tedious for me to learn because I know most of it. And it's just kind of a thing to do when I'm bored. And hopefully I might pick up something new. Um, and it's going great. The only problem is I think Duolingo is a little bit broken. Why is that? In that, like, uh, at least on the, because de- I'm doing it on the desktop, right? Um, the, the, the web, the web app has a thing where they list all the words you've learned and then they like rate them on one to five based on how, uh, how recently you've practiced them. Okay. And no matter how much I practice on Duolingo, it will not serve me up the words that need practicing. So like uh, the one that sticks in my mind is the word wind for, for wind. It has Mm -hmm. been on like low, like a one bar health for ages and I'm there mashing the practice button like doing insane amount of practice a day and it will not serve me up the word win and it's really annoying because as a completionist I want to have everything at full uh, at full power and everything is practiced and I can't and it's 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 very irritating very irritating and another thing that irritates me really quickly is that uh there has this thing they have this thing whereby you know the way it's broken up into little kind of subjects yeah and you need to clear the subjects before moving on to the next set of subjects. Mm-hmm. So they've introduced this thing whereby you can clear a subject, but you can also go back and do that subject uh, at a higher level. Cool. And it goes up to like level five on each subject. And again, I'm a completionist, so I want to get everything to level five. And I swear to God, man, I've been doing phrases, like German phrases, like, hello, willkommen, genau, alles klar. I've been doing that for days, days. Getting to level five on that involves like, like I think it must be maybe like a hundred or maybe less than hundred, maybe eighty or so run passes through that thing, and no one, no one needs eighty goals to get hello, willkommen, guten Morgen, <coughs> guten Tag. Like even if you don't know German, you get that after like ten, you know. <laughs> and it's just it, and, uh, it annoys me because I want to complete everything and I can just see like the date of case taking me 200 times to clear and it's just like oh no i think you've gauged this wrong duolingo but that's just me (laughs) that's still fairly new so maybe they're still refining the the different levels in each subject part oh and their klingon is terrible is it yeah because well it's in beta so it it is kind of terrible right um and it's it's i try i had a go and was kind of like Oh, this is this is very difficult. It's very hard to even get into this. Like, there's no easy learning curve here. Um, I wonder if it's the same for High Valerian. Uh, I haven't checked it out yet. I want to clear German first. Um, but anyway, there you go. Duolingo complaints. Anything else before we shut up shop? That's that's me. I think. I think that's everything I had to say. Listen, come here. Will you will you uh, take care of yourself? And I hope you get better soon. I will do my best. Cool. Uh, I will see you uh, next month sometime. Uh, absolutely cool all right listeners thank you so much for listening bill see you next time uh until next time edgar Edgar out. out